y'all turn in your Bibles to 1 John, book of 1 John. One of the things that has characterized our church and the preaching here uh, over the last four or five years is that Ben primarily and most of the time preaches through the book of John. And so he, he preaches um, verse by verse when people ask, where is your church headed? What direction are you going? And he tells them, well, we're going to the next verse. And that's, that's great. It's, it's cool because he gets to build each week. And he's building upon passages and truths um, that just kind of snowball. And that's great for Ben. <laughs> but when we fill in, it's tough because we have to jump in somewhere else. And we've talked about that. Um, those that, that preach here have talked about how difficult that is. And you don't want to jump in where he's been because then if we mess it up, he has to go back and fix it the next week when he comes back. So it's difficult. So what I've decided to do, and um, um, if the Lord gives me another opportunity to preach, we're going to come back to where we left off in 1 John. So um, I'm going to spend uh, the time that God gives me to work through these 1 John, 2 John, 3 John books so that I can begin and we can build together when Ben's not in the pulpit, build through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So... Um, I've been excited about that so that I can know where we're going when I have opportunity to preach. We're going to go back and build on what we preached last time. So that's exciting for me, and um, hopefully it will be for, for you. Um, these, these books, this 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, um, are what some would call letters, and um, some would say maybe they're not letters. They don't have a, a greeting or the ending. They don't have like Paul's letters where he addresses himself and then he says, I'm writing to a certain people. Now, we don't see that in these, but we'll call them letters for the sake of clarity. And uh, I think that they're probably written to a people that he's familiar with. So for the sake of clarity, we'll call them letters. First uh, John, Second John, and Third John. Um, I, would, I would call them, because of the same author, and the same truth, it's kind of parallel back to where we've been in John, that this first John is kind of like the book of John uh, concentrate. Um, you know, we buy orange juice in jugs most of the time, or cartons, and, but um, you can buy it in concentrate form. There's not as much volume there, um, but it packs more power if you were to just bite off some concentrate. Uh, pretty tart, pretty powerful, and that's kind of the way first John is. Um, the that's the way I, I, I like to describe it because the truths parallel back to the book of John and what we, where we've been as a people. But his language is a little different. It's, it's pretty emotional, pretty strong, and he may not elaborate as much in volume, but the powerful points that he's making are, are pretty strong and they illuminate where we've been in John. And so um, it's, it's really cool to see some of those parallels and hopefully you'll see those as well. <clears throat> um, maybe a synthesized amplified partner to the book of John is a good way to, to look at these letters. Um, I want us to pray one more time that God would uh, add blessing to uh, the reading and the preaching of His Word and that um, I, I would cover your prayers as, as I preach this morning. Father, um, 
I pray that you would use um, feeble and humble heart to communicate your message to your people and that you would help us by your spirit to understand these truths and that you would help us by your spirit to align our lives with this truth. Um, Difficult and complex sometimes. And uh, we trust that you are going to mold your people this morning and communicate this morning. And that's my trust in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We're going to get through the first four verses this morning, hopefully. Uh, So let's look together at 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Right off the bat here, you see an echo of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made. It's kind of an echo of So you already see a parallel here. In 1 John 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, that's Christ. That's the word of life. That's Jesus he's speaking of there. That which was from the beginning. It's funny when I'm preparing for sermons and um, I hear sayings that we use and they jump out and they kind of apply here uh, to, to what I'm studying. And we were watching a movie and then this phrase that we use came up in conversation this week. Uh, came out of nowhere. He came out of nowhere was in the movie. It caught somebody by surprise. I think it was a shoot 'em up movie. And he said, uh, he came out of nowhere and I shot him. People don't come out of nowhere. Uh, that's just a, a saying we use for emphasis that he caught us by surprise. And one of the things, before we look at his manifestation this morning, before we look at this proclamation of this manifestation, and before we look at the goal being fellowship, we have to know, and it may sound elementary, <clears throat> but we have to know, we have to be clear. Jesus did not come out of nowhere. He was not a surprise. Misunderstood, maybe, probably. But He was not a surprise. That which was from the beginning. He always has been. Nothing was made without Him. He was active. He is active and He will be active. And John gets this because John was there Uh, When Philip said, uh, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us God, and that will be enough. It's almost as if Philip, who had walked with Christ, had said, I've seen you in this manifestation, and I know you're like God, maybe, and I don't want to put words in Philip's mouth, but from that scripture in John, when Philip says that, you wonder what Philip's thinking. Jesus, show us God. What he wants is a Moses moment. He wants God to... um, Make him glow like Moses. He wants to see something so he can know for sure that this Jesus is God. And he says to Philip, Philip, I and the Father am one. Where have you been? Have you not walked with me? 
has the manifestation, this physical manifestation of God not been enough for you? And so John saw the reproof of Philip, and so John gets this, that which was from the beginning. He understands what that means, and that's why it's so uh, amazing and so cool and so perfect that he uses that phrase, that which was from the beginning. The thing that has always been manifested itself here on this planet, on this earth. And uh, John saw it and heard it and touched it. And so he uses that phrase twice here in this passage to say not only was it revealed, but I got to see it, hear it, and touch it. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the nature of the manifestation of Christ. How did he come? How did he manifest himself physically here? Because there's some implications for us in the nature of his manifestation. And then what does that manifestation produce? What kind of people does it produce? Or should it produce? And then what's the end goal? The end goal, I'll just go ahead and tell you, is fellowship with one another and with the Father. That's the goal. We just read that. The end goal is fellowship. He manifested himself here. And he continues to manifest himself so that God's people will have fellowship with each other corporately and with the Father at the same time. So we're going to look at the nature and what does it produce and that end goal being fellowship and really being the true meaning of blessing. Manifest. What does that mean? Here's the simple definition. To make visible or know that which was hidden or unknown before. So if something is made manifest, it just means it's been revealed, taught, not hidden anymore. Cover taken off, right? Revealed. But John takes it a step further and says, not only was it made known, but we physically were able to see, hear, and touch this manifestation of Christ. We cannot apprehend that. We cannot apprehend God. We cannot, we have no way of grasping Godness. Moses couldn't, we can't. Unless he takes the initiative to manifest himself to us. It's his work, his initiative that he takes to manifest himself to us. Um, it's very um, tricky for us, the church today, uh, to not pigeonhole Christ into what our culture pigeonholes him and classifies or maybe declassifies Christ. We have to make sure we as God's people know who he is, who he was when he walked here, and who he will be always. Because people don't understand it. People don't um, fully grasp this unless they get it from the Word. Okay, So let's be careful not to pigeonhole him, especially 2,000 years removed from him being here. That's the danger, is that we can maybe conjure up things about Christ and His walking here, and maybe even water it down, because we're 2,000 years removed. Listen to this quote. This is R.C. Sproul. For the first time in their lives, the disciples met a person for whom they had no category. They were in the presence of a man in a class by himself. His otherness was so alien that they were terrified. Listen to unbelievers talk about Jesus today. Great teacher. Terrific humanitarian. But this kind of opinion can only be kept from the safe vantage of 2,000 years. Do you see it? It's very easy to classify Jesus and declassify him from 2,000 years removed. But why did his contemporaries kill him? Jesus was not crucified because he said, Consider the lilies, how they grow. 
He was killed and crucified because he said, Consider the thieves, how they steal. The world could not endure the Holy One of Israel. He is God. He's not just Savior. He's not just Davidic Messiah. He's not just Lord. He is those things. He is all those, and He is eternal God. And listen, He did not come to the manger to identify with us. He came to the manger because we cannot fully grasp God. That is manifestation. Let me say that one more time, just just so we're clear. He did not come to a manger to identify with us. He came to a manger because we cannot fully grasp His Godness. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to solidify this with some satellite verses here. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And as we look at the nature of this manifestation, this, this God that didn't come to identify with us, but came to manifest so that we could somehow grasp Him, the nature of that manifestation is tricky, and I want to tell you, I, where we're about to go is scary to me because it's not something that I get. It's not something I, where I've arrived. It's tricky uh, for God's people. It's tricky for Americans, especially. And um, I just want to tread lightly here, but I want us to look at what the Word says. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. If, if you're underlining key words, um, underline rich, poor, and by His poverty, and then rich again. He left a perfect, glorious, rich, wealthy, non-able-to-grasp position and became poor. And so the picture here is wealth, poverty. And he gave up wealth and became poor so that he would manifest himself physically. Okay, do you see the nature here? The nature is being emptied. Made poor, not made rich, not accumulating more, but giving up position. Not power and authority, but giving up position. All right, now look at Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. We'll read 5 through 8. We're looking at the nature of this manifestation, the nature of His coming. Being giving up wealth, becoming poor. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If you're underlining phrases, verse 7, but made himself 
nothing. All those words are key. Made himself nothing. Servant. Taking the form of a servant. Humbled, verse 8. Becoming obedient, key word. And I would double underline even. Because not only did he become poor, not only did he lower, humble, empty, and make himself nothing, he was obedient even to death on a cross. That's the gospel. We're seeing this concentrate form of the gospel that John's presenting here. This God coming here, manifesting himself so that we can proclaim and so that there's fellowship, God with his people. That's the concentrate mission of God that we're seeing a a, a picture of here. And so the nature of his manifestation is poverty. And I know that that is, um, I keep saying it's tricky. I don't, I don't know the word that I'm wanting to use there, but I, I know it's sensitive to think of us making ourselves not accumulate, not wealthy, but poor. That's countercultural, especially for the church in America, especially for us, the land of the American dream. And it also should impact and affect how we celebrate this season of Christmas. It's very easy for us to want to identify this manger scene being about us. That he's come to identify with us. That he's come for our sake when he came to be obedient to the Father, even unto death on a cross. And so all these phrases started hitting me that um, we say in the Christmas season. And there's much to be said about the Christmas spirit. Do you all hear that phrase a lot? The Christmas spirit. I hear it on the radio all the time, on TV, the Christmas spirit. Movies are made about the Christmas spirit. Okay, so here, here's some words about the Christmas spirit. Just some phrases that we hear. Just believe. Uh, just believe in the Christmas spirit and you'll have it. Um, if you believe, the bell will ring for you, but if you don't believe, the bell won't ring. Every time a bell rings... An angel gets its wings. That's the Christmas spirit right there. Have Christmas joy. Sing the songs and Santa's sleigh will have enough power to fly. It's the Christmas spirit. Be with family. Stay warm. Eat good and swap junk. That's the Christmas spirit. How can you have the Christmas spirit without eating a lot of food, staying warm and swapping stuff? 250 strands for a grand total of 25,000 twinkling lights of exterior illumination. (laughs) Can't have the Christmas spirit without lighting up the house. Here's the one that gets me. The Christmas spirit is inside each of us. (laughs) No, it's not. God bless us, everyone. All these phrases about the Christmas spirit. This is the Christmas spirit for God's people. It should be. That which was from the beginning came here. Came here. That which was from the beginning came to this place. Unbelievable. He made himself poor. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. That's the Christmas spirit. J.I. Packer says this. I know I'm quoting people left and right, but they say it better than I can. 
this Christmas spirit of Him coming in poverty, it ought to mean the reproducing in human lives the temper of Him who for our sake became poor at the first Christmas. And that Christmas spirit ought to be the mark of every Christian all year round. Listen to this. It is our shame, talking about the church, it is our shame and our disgrace today that so many Christians, and alas, they are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home, making nice middle-class Christian friends, bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways, and who leave the sub-middle-class sections of the community to get on by themselves. It is to our shame and disgrace today. Now, this is so hard to be throwing down the poverty gauntlet (laughs) because immediately you start to evaluate yourself and I'm starting to evaluate me and I'm thinking, who am I to throw down the poverty gauntlet? But it's good for us to consider the nature of this, that which was from the beginning coming here, being our model, but not just our model, it's what he taught. And so I want us to at least consider it. Consider that he came in poverty. And celebrate that this Christmas. And I don't really know how we do that. I know it scares me when I see my daughter respond to the Disney store. Like she does. That's scary to me how captured she is with stuff. And it makes me wonder. Am I teaching her the celebration of that which was from the beginning emptied himself? Gave up position, wealth, rich, glorious, and gave it up. Am I teaching her the Christmas spirit of just giving up, letting go, or gathering in and accumulating? And that's hard for me, and that's hitting me most with my kids. Okay, so what is this, what is this manifestation? It's, it's poverty. But, but one thing that we have to make sure that we get here in this Philippians passage is that manifestation, Him coming here, that which was from the beginning coming here, was the work of Jesus as God. Okay? I'm going to say that again. I, I want us to, to know and, and know as we proclaim the gospel that He came in poverty and He came that was His work. As God. Jesus' work as God coming. He was active in this process. He was not passive. A lot of times, I think, um, for the church, we we think that maybe Jesus got called in from the bullpen. That where was he? Well, he was with God at creation, but he'd just been sitting around waiting for the cross. No, nothing was made except that it was made through him. He was active at creation. He was active in this mission And look at Philippians 2 again, verse 7. But he made himself. He didn't get called in from the bullpen. He made himself nothing in taking on the form of a servant. He was active in manifestation. He was active in coming. He was active at creation. He will be active in the end. Revelation 19 calls him the word of life right as he destroys all of God's enemies. And he comes as a warrior, he's still active. He was active at creation. He was active in this coming. He didn't get called in from the bullpen. He was active in that. He made himself nothing. And it was his initiative as God to come and be in that manger and live 33 obscure 
years to be obedient even to a cross. He took the initiative and he was active in this. So it was poverty that he came and he was active in it. So what does this produce? This manifestation that John speaks about in 1 John, this coming, what should it produce? This coming in poverty and this actively participating. It should produce a poor people. Matthew chapter 5. I don't have enough time this morning to do this passage justice and, and some of you have studied this more than I have and you, you probably have a wealth of, of study of Jesus' sermon. But these blessings, blesseds, beatitudes, blesseds, Sermon on the Mount. First one, verse 2, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. Destitute. No wealth, no position, no influence. No power. The, the, the people of God that inherit the kingdom will be characterized as destitute. Poor. No influence in their life, soul, and spirit. See, our pursuit of blessings, our pursuit of blessedness, and we would all say, yes, I want to be blessed. I mean, if you run into somebody and you say, do you want to be blessed by God? And they say, no, there's something wrong. Sure, we all want to be blessed. But our context for blessing is more. If, if we get more, or we have more influence... And I'm not just talking about money. If we have more influence, more position, more authority, more power, more money, more stuff, if that access is gained, we think God's blessing. He's blessing us. And that was the same context for the Jew. When when the barn was full, God's happy with us. Uh, When we have stuff and things are going well and it's raining on our crops, God's happy. He's blessing And Jesus came and flipped it. Completely flipped it for everybody, for the Jew and for us. He's turned it upside down. That all of a sudden blessing becomes destitute, poor, spent, humble, lowly. We equate blessings with stuff. And so did the Jews. I think there's a balance here. I'm not talking about an unwise dumping of resources and not being a good steward of what God's given us. But are we characterized by being a people dependent, spent, used up in every way? Is that our character as God's people? The nature of His manifestation was being emptied, humbled, and lowered. Here's the question. Does being spent and left with very little leave us feeling blessed? Does being spent and left with very little leave us feeling blessed? Or will only more, 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 more do for our blessing? That's that's what we have to reckon with today. Does being spent and left with very little leave us feeling blessed? Or will only more, 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 more do for our blessings? What will we call blessing? What will we call blessed? What will we call being blessed? Where we look at our life and say, man, being used up, being spent, being left with very little, blessed. 
This is very difficult for our context in America. We live in affluence. We live in abundance. American dream, right? We, we can pretty much access is there. Make all you can. Get all you can. Save all you can. It's a good thing and it can be a good thing. Is it completely armless? I don't know. You know, I, we have some friends that are adopting from another country, much like uh, Aaron and Stephanie, Mike and Abby. And someone approached them with a concern that as they adopt from another country, that that child may have some influence on it. A baby may have some generational stuff attached to the baby because they're coming from a Muslim or non-Christian country. And, and their concern was, you need to pray now that that won't come with that child. And that kind of threw them off. They were a little freaked out by that. Like, should we be praying for that? Is that a concern? And as I talked with them, I, I just told them I didn't see much biblical context for that, that generational sin seemed to be sin learned by fathers who were godless. You adopt a baby from another country, I would pray for that baby because you're bringing it here. That's the prayer that I would be most earnest about, is that you're bringing a child to America. You're bringing that child to affluence and abundance. And I'd be more earnest about that prayer than something, I don't know that I see much context for that religious connection coming to a baby. But that's where I would pray and be worried and concerned and be on my face before the Lord, is that you're going to be raising that child here. And will that child see and celebrate poverty at Christmas? Will that child celebrate emptying and pouring and being spent? Or will they celebrate accumulation? Will they see blessing as being spent and left with very little? Or will they see blessing as gaining, gaining, gaining more? So this nature of His manifestation, of His coming, of that which was from the beginning coming here and pouring Himself out should produce a poor people. People that are marked by being needy and spent. And it should produce an amazed people. That word amazed um, has been beat up. It gets used a lot in the song that we all know. Amazing grace. And it's deadened our sense to its power. But Philippians 2 again. He did not count his godness a thing to be grasped. And it should amaze us that he came here. Because he did not come to identify with us. He came because we cannot grasp Him any other way. There was no other way that we could embrace and have fellowship with Him and have fellowship with each other as His church except that He came and He manifested Himself lowly, poor, and humble. It was His way. And it should produce an amazed, poor people. Continually amazed by the gospel. Number three, back to 1 John. The nature of his manifestation being poverty should produce poor people, it should produce amazed people, and it produces proclamation. Testimony, preaching, teaching, proclaiming, manifesting himself to a few people produces proclamation to the whole world. Because he manifests himself in, in 33 years, his mission and ministry, he's proclaimed now. Manifestation produces a proclamation. Look at verse 2 again. 
the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship. So when things are manifested to us, we proclaim them. If you try and proclaim without manifestation, it's empty. But John can proclaim because Christ was manifest physically to him. You say, well, how, do you, how, does he, how are we supposed to proclaim when we didn't walk and touch and see Jesus? Lily had that concern the other night when we were going to bed. I um, praying with her and, and teaching her. She hears these sayings that we say at church, and she hears us talk. And she's heard me say about Jesus speaking, God speaking. And she said, um, Dad, when Jesus speaks to me, I can't hear him. Like there might be some trouble with her hearing or, you know, Physically, I'm not hearing anything. And she's thinking physically manifest. And it was a great teaching moment for me to show her, and I don't know if she caught it or not, but for me to tell her this is how he manifests today. He manifests and he speaks through the Word. And a guy named Judas had that same question. Flip to John 14, the book of John chapter 14. A guy named Judas had that same question for Jesus John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Well, Judas didn't get that. Judas says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the whole world? How will the whole world know your manifestation if you're only going to be with us, physically. And he already answered it in verse 21, but he says again, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Judas, Lily, Cross point, this is how I'm going to speak to you. This is how I will manifest myself to you through the Holy Spirit right here, through my commandments and my word. And as I manifest myself to you through this, you proclaim it. And I change lives. And I build my church. Manifestation produces proclamation. So shepherds, head of the house, whoever you are, if you've been frustrated by the shepherd's guide, like I have, <laughs> um, and I may get in trouble for saying this, but man, Ben throws a lot out there. And don't, maybe don't try and proclaim all of that if you haven't chewed on it and it hasn't manifested itself in you. When it manifests itself in you, it's easier to proclaim. But if it hasn't manifested itself in you, maybe just take day one, and I've got little ones, so if you've got little ones, maybe just take day one and do it for three days so that it can really manifest itself in you and then you can proclaim it. It's very difficult to proclaim what hasn't been manifested in our hearts and in our lives. It's empty. I wonder why people are put off by some preaching and teaching. 
And I wonder if it's because it hasn't manifested itself in the teacher or the preacher. We cannot proclaim what has not been manifested in us. We know Him. He is manifest. He is revealed. He becomes known through the Word. And we cannot proclaim what hasn't been manifested in us. Okay, so what's the end goal? What, what's this all about? Back to 1 John. What's the end? What's the, what's the, the goal? The finale. The goal is fellowship. The goal is fellowship, not security. The goal is fellowship, not blessing. Because fellowship, John says here in a minute, becomes the blessing. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Complete joy is the greatest blessing for God's people. Fellowship is possible because of manifestation. Manifestation produces a proclamation of truth. And that truth produces fellowship with God and with God's people. And that is blessing. And that is joy. And that is how joy is made complete from manifestation to proclamation and fellowship. And that is our goal and hopefully is becoming our goal more and more. Fellowship with God's people and with Him. And that's real blessing. And so being spent is nothing because we have fellowship with God's people and with Him. And being spent means nothing. And being left with very little means nothing. Listen, this is why we study. This is why we gather. It's why we preach. We gather for this fellowship because that which was from the beginning came here. And we preach it. And when we preach it, His church is built by His work and His initiative. And when His church is built, we have fellowship with each other and with Him. And that's the goal. So no Lone Rangers, right? That fellowship and that joy is not complete if you're by yourself, if you're anonymous. No Lone Rangers in this manifestation and proclamation. If Christ is manifesting Himself to you, you will have fellowship with God's people. And apart from that, If we're separating ourselves from God's people, not only are we missing the blessing, the only blessing, but it's sin. Fellowship results in joy. We don't gather here because we like candles on the wall. (laughs) We don't gather, uh, sorry Scott, but because we like the music. I mean, that may be what drew some of us, you know, who knows. But that's not why. That's not why biblically we're here this morning. That's not why we gather together because we like the same style of stuff or we like Ben's preaching or anybody's preaching for that matter. We gather because that which was from the beginning came here and we proclaim it and it's produced a fellowship and our joy is made complete. That's why we gather. There was no other way for us to grasp His godness. There was no other way for us to know Him except that through poverty He made Himself nothing, humbled Himself, and came here. And I hope that's what we can celebrate. I don't know 
if I'm doing a very good job of it, but I want to teach my kids to celebrate empty, spent, humble, giving, poured out, lowly, poor in spirit, destitute, and I want my kids to see that as blessing when you have fellowship with God and His people. Blessed. You have fellowship with God and His people? Blessed. And that's difficult in our context. And that's the hardest job I think that I'll have as a dad is to teach this manifestation and to proclaim it. And I pray that we as a church will be marked as a people who are destitute and needy. That's not real cool. But to be needy and dependent. Y'all pray with me. God, I feel pretty helpless um, when it comes to this and um, helpless when it comes to parenting and leading anybody to poverty or to lowliness. But I pray that you would um, help me and help us to be marked by a people who will say, we're blessed because we have fellowship, not because we have stuff. Help us to understand what being um, poor in spirit really means. And God, we praise you this morning for fellowship with you through your spirit. And I thank you for the fellowship that we have with each other in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.